Hey, how's it going, everybody? You're listening to another episode of the Super Mercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. What's up? My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. Thanks a lot for joining us this week. Yeah, and if you're new to this podcast, this is a show where we share, discuss, and analyze the very best in video game music. Thanks so much for joining us. Today's episode is Fire and Lava. Pretty fitting for how really quite hot and humid it is outside it is. this time of year. I mean, even as we're recording this, we're kind of sweating, so it's fitting. This music is going to fit the vibe. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel like we should shut off the AC in order to do this episode, in order to do justice to the music. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable the way I am. I don't know. I think we should go in my car with the windows up and record this as we're like sweating 100 degrees. I think that would be perfect. <laughs> we just wouldn't care about any of the music. Yeah, so thanks for joining us, guys. We have a really fun playlist today. We love these um, level-themed episodes. We've done so many in the past. We did summer music is what we did, uh, one of the ones we did last season. Uh, what are some of the other ones we've done over the course of this podcast? Well, we did the um, ice and snow ice and levels. Snow. And like around Valentine's Day, we did romantic That's true. music. So. Yeah, these are really fun because, I mean, there's a lot of absolutely classic fire and lava themes. I think that's probably one of the biggest topics as far as like these level themed episodes. There's, I mean, I know for a fact that there's going to be people that there's going to be tracks that, that maybe you're thinking of that we left out today. There's just so many to choose from. So we're not saying that these are the only good ones out there. This is just kind of a, a playlist that we thought was a nice eclectic group of high quality tracks. Absolutely. So. Let's get to it. Awesome. What you heard there was um, from Super Smash Brothers Brawl. That was a remix of F-Zero Fire Field classic track and actually in some ways i prefer that remix version from brawl it makes it a little bit more um, interesting to listen to musically i know the original firefield uh was trying to be very dissonant and kind of scary so that was a cool take on it so i'm sure you guys are excited for the upcoming smash brothers game for the wii u and 3ds that looks pretty cool yeah definitely it's gonna be really awesome yeah and speaking of f-zero actually today we have a new album that's coming out it's a tribute album to the original f-zero for the super nintendo really exciting stuff it's called zero g super satellite racing and we'll talk more about that at the end of today's episode all right let's get into it first track we're going to play today is from teenage mutant ninja turtles 2 the arcade game but for the nes (laughs) we're going to play a track called stage one fire and this was composed by Mitsuhiko Itsumi and Miki Higashino. Here we go. You're listening to Stage 1 Fire from TMNT 2, the arcade game, composed by Mitsuhiko Itsumi and Miki Higashino. What a nice blood-pumping first track of this game, first track of this episode. Yeah, an ironic name for that arcade game. I think the idea is that it's trying to separate itself from the first Ninja Turtles game mm-hmm. on NES, but really, it's not exactly a perfect port of the Ninja Turtles arcade game. In hmm. fact, it's quite different, so I, I always think that's like a funny name. Mm-hmm. 
I think back then it was it was something that was kind of more impressive. It was like, oh, arcade game. This, I should probably buy this. Yeah. <laughs> but this this is a great piece of music. This is so classic for me. Like when I was going through games this week to pick this track listing, I heard this and I was like, oh my gosh! Like we haven't played this yet. This is so classic. You know? Oh yeah, it's, it's great. crazy. We haven't. We didn't play this on. I don't think we played this on our... I know we actually played a track from this game on our Arcade Games 1 episode, even though we played it from the NES version, I think. We played the original Ninja Turtles. Oh, really? Okay, well... Which is even less of an arcade game. <laughs> that, we shouldn't have done that. I don't know why we did that. I just... I That was the first track that we ever played in with, and I thought That's that was true. a good play-in That was a good first track. play-in. We, we did Thank play you, a Paul. track from the actual Ninja Turtles arcade, the actual arcade well, We version. did Turtles in Time, Turtles I in think. Time, right. We definitely uh, coming pretty soon. We're gonna have a, a arcade games part two episode. So it's about time. Should, yeah, you should be looking forward to that. And we're gonna try to focus mainly on actual arcade music. So not music from you know consoles. We'll probably have to do with some of that. You know, because it's actually really hard to find um, some of those arcade uh, soundtracks. So, but yeah, great track to start things off today. Well, now we're gonna move on to the Game Boy Advance to a game called Mother Three. Um, this was composed by Shogo Sakai who you might know from the Kirby series, just a veteran composer. This is a track called Volcano Inferno. Interesting chords there. This is Volcano Inferno from Mother 3 for the GBA, composed by Shogo Sakai. Pretty impressive acoustic guitar samples, organ samples for this GBA soundtrack. This is actually a really high-quality soundtrack. I know we played a track from this on our Romantic Music episode. Yeah, in general, this whole series is pretty cool. I think it's definitely a very unique series of games. Uh, The first Mother on the NES, I don't know how well it sold, but I know that Earthbound, the sequel for the Super Nintendo, Mm -hmm. um, did not sell well at all. Oh, really? But it's actually since become one of the highest rated cult games. Everyone wants to get their hands on Earthbound, but so few copies of the game cartridges were made because it just didn't sell very well. So now, if you go on like Amazon or if you go on eBay or something, trying to find a copy of that game, it, it gets like really pricey. Yeah, and actually, I may be mistaken about this, but I have a feeling Mother 3 was only originally released in Japan for the GBA. It's, yeah, I, I think so. pretty sure. Yeah, that's cool because I feel like now, as the years go on, it doesn't really matter what games initially sold well or didn't sell well. Like when I think of Earthbound, it, to me, it seems like a quintessential classic SNES game. 
you know, like because enough time has passed where I don't really right. think about how it originally sold. Especially because like those characters are featured in like every single Smash Brothers game, so it's right. sort of like the legacy of those games feels like one of Nintendo's biggest. But if you really think about like if you go back to the history of it, um, Earthbound is really kind of a rare title, and I think it's interesting. Mother Three, it's. I, it's kind of like the Rambo thing, you know. The first Rambo movie was called First Blood, and mm-hmm. the second one, which everyone knows, is just called Rambo. But it's confusing because I think a lot of people didn't know Mother; they only knew Earthbound. So mm-hmm. this really could have been called Earthbound, Earthbound two, 2. But it's Mother Three. I just yeah. it's one of those interesting <laughs> series mm-hmm. as far as the title. Yeah, because I mean, is Earthbound? Is there a subtitle that says Earthbound Mother Two, or is it just known as the sequel to I, Mother? I'm not sure. I feel like on the box it says Earthbound, but on the title screen it might say Mother Two. Okay. Another somewhere. cool thing about games that maybe initially didn't sell too well on the SNES, like when they come out later for things like the Virtual Console, it's nice that they can kind of have a second chance at things. Oh yeah. You know? And a lot of those rare games back in the day, they might be the most popular on the Virtual Console because they're games that people haven't had the access to buy before, you know? That's true. Really cool stuff. We're going to move on to um, one of the first tracks that I thought of when I was making this playlist today. This is from Mario Kart 64. This is Bowser's Castle, composed by Kenta Nagata. Be careful. Bowser's Castle from Mario Kart 64, composed by Kenta Nagata. Really haunting, scary piece of music that's super effective. I think one of the things about this track when you're playing the game is kind of the levels and the fact that things are kind of atmospheric. It's actually hard to make out all the music when you're playing the game. Mm-hmm. Like, this was actually one of the first times that I've really heard all the parts all the way through. Yeah, especially those sort of lone droning uh, notes. You mm-hmm. know, you really don't hear that a lot. You you hear the sort of vocal samples. And you hear, like, the tambourine, you yeah. know? But it's like, when, in the context of hearing all those question blocks and the shells and people yelling and toad and just the driving you hear the constant hum of the cart engine so Mm -hmm. if there's like a sustained low note you're not really going to hear it you'll just think it's a sound effect but what i think is interesting especially compared to like the later mario kart games like this is really as ambient and dissonant as you can make mario kart right it's funny that it's like the level of diversity in this soundtrack is really more impressive than i think most people give it credit you know you have some really interesting authentic jazz 
jazzy music in mm-hmm. this game, but then you also have just very classic, you know, upbeat racing music. In addition to like stuff like this, which is really kind of yeah. ambient and everything really fits the level really well. And I feel like the music was taken very seriously to very much accompany the images and the gameplay of the game. And that's something that I feel like you don't see in later Mario Oh, you Kart definitely games. don't see that anymore. I mean, Kenton Nagata really outdid himself. I, one thing we were talking about this, Will and I, the other day is, is uh, I think we're playing a different track from Mario Kart 64, like one of the level or menu themes. And I was thinking like, I wonder if he ever realized when he was working on this in 1996 or 97 when it came out that how influential this would be to every other racing, like cartoonish racing game that would come out after this and how none of them would be able to match this. Like this was the first one in many ways in this kind of new style and it would be the best as far as the soundtrack goes. I mean, think of how many soundtracks kind of use this as a model. Yeah, I mean, any sort of like mascot racer, whether it's like Crash Team Racing or Diddy Kong Racing or whatever it's called, Mm -hmm. all that stuff, even like Sonic All-Stars, like a lot of that is really sort of um, basing itself off Mario Kart. And obviously the later Mario Kart games, I mean, in some ways they would use this music as a foundation, but it feels like this game of telephone that's been played over the years. And as the years go by, they actually retain less of the original qualities of this soundtrack. Yeah, they're thinking about it. it's like, oh, Mario Kart, right? Elements. It sounds like this. It sounds really goofy with these whistle instruments. But it's like, as the years go on, you realize that, is that really what Mario Kart is about, you know? So it's interesting. Like, when you go back and listen to this, how much authentic jazz there was. And it wasn't obnoxious. I feel like a lot of the modern, modern Mario Kart music is kind of obnoxious, but... Awesome. We're going to move on to a game for the Sega Genesis called Aladdin. You guys know how much we love this soundtrack. This is a track called Arab Rock 2. Now, there's one and two in uh, the first Arab Rock tune. Um, both of these, actually, they're, they're bonus level themes. Uh, you play as a boo, and you actually have a knife, and you're trying, to, you're trying to slice all these falling objects. And the first one takes place in the streets of Agrabah, and the second one takes place in the Cave of Wonders, and there's lava all around you. So that's why it's fitting to play this track today. It was composed by Donald S. Griffin. That is Arab Rock 2 from the Sega Genesis game Aladdin, composed by Donald S. Griffin. Man, such a great rocking track. Yeah, I totally just, like, escaped into this sort of, like, zen-like <laughs> state. I just started, like, thinking about all this weird stuff, but this music just 
oh, so comfortable to me. Everything about it is sort of like nostalgic. I love this game. I love this entire soundtrack. But this track in particular, like this is one of those video game tunes where I just feel like it's as close to perfection as you can really get. Mm -hmm. You know, it's utilizing all the channels perfectly. It's utilizing the specific sounds of the Sega Genesis. And at the end of the day, it's a well-written melody and it's just, it's a lot of fun. I, I don't know. It's like, this is what I like about video game music is like all the emotions that this song makes me feel. One of the things that's so effective about these Arab rock tunes, and like I said, their bonus stage, their bonus stages is that it, it keeps building and building and the form of the song is actually fairly long. It's about one minute, 15 seconds. So if you actually survive that bonus stage that long, it really makes you feel like you've accomplished something because the music keeps getting more intense. And most of the times that I would play these bonus stages, I would only be able to last like 20 seconds. So I would never get to hear all of it. But I remember watching um, Marty when he used to play. He was really good at these bonus stages. So whenever he played, I got to hear more of this music. Right. And it really added a level of excitement to it, you know, the farther you got in these bonus stages. And it's interesting. I always kind of thought that both of these were like the same song. Right. I didn't realize that this second song actually has completely new melodic material once you get after that A section. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's incredibly different than the first one. It's great. Awesome. It definitely sounds like a lava type of theme because it, mm -hmm. it uses similar uh, techniques that are used in that Rug Ride song that we played right. um, on our Genesis episode a few weeks ago. <laughs> Unfortunately, we played that. We really should have played that this week. Yeah, well, that that's your escaping lava on mm -hmm. the magic carpet. But I feel like that song is less about lava and just more mm -hmm. about like excitement right. and like speed. We're going to move to the future to Wario Land Shake It for the Wii. This was composed by Tomoya Tamida, and we're going to play a really funky track called Mount Lava Lava. You're listening to Mount Lava Lava, composed by Tomoyo Tamida from the game Wario Land Shake It. Man, this is really one of the funkiest, one of the funnest pieces of music in this game. This is excellent. 
definitely. Really, really solid. I know we've praised this game a lot. Hear uh, that morph lead on the right channel? Oh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> Carl and I have really praised this game a lot because it's sort of it keeps the spirit alive from old school video game platforming as far as all the aesthetics and presentation for, that includes the mm -hmm. music and as far as the art style the gameplay like it really feels like a nice homage to old school platforming but also with its own twist you know uh, unlike the new Super Mario Brothers games for example it doesn't seem like it's just trying to tread over the same waters that that includes right. like with the music and the gameplay it's really trying it to is bring trying it to do to something next level new. yeah so no, it's that's like, a good point it has the soul of the music um from the past from the 80s and 90s but also it's doing new techniques and it's not afraid to use modern instrumentation and stuff that's a very good point i mean i actually read comments somewhere where some someone thought this uh soundtrack was actually really cheesy and they didn't like it at all and in some ways i think i can see where they're coming from with some of the tracks i mean some of it is a little bit cheesy i think a lot of people would say that Maybe non, maybe outsiders of video game music, they might say a lot of video game music sounds cheesy, but I don't know. It's nice if you can enjoy what's there, you know. And in this, there's so much to enjoy musically. Like some of those riffs, those horn riffs, are really well composed. Really nice harmonies. There's just there's a lot of interesting things musically that are happening. Here. Also, it's very specific to the character of Wario. You know, yeah, it, it really point. feels like this game is almost the first game in the whole Wario Land series where it's really capturing the attitude of Wario, the sort of greedy, fat nature of yeah. him. Like, this music is sort of like, it's darker, fatter, much more American mm -hmm. than, um, like, Mario music, for example, which is very characteristic of, you know, happiness and bounciness and playfulness, and I, I think it's interesting because Wario is definitely a completely different type of character, and I think the music reflects that. We're going to move on to Gradius 3, and we're going to play the Super Nintendo soundtrack of this game. This is composed by Junichiro Kaneda, Saichi Fukami, and Miki Higashino. And I believe Miki Higashino was the original composer of the first Gradius. We're going to play a track from the third game. This is called Fire Scramble. Let's take a listen. Listening to Fire Scramble from Gradius 3, composed by a bunch of talented composers, including the original Miki Higashino. This is a nice, rocking, very quintessential arcade style track. Um, there's not really a lot in this particular track that evokes fire for me. 
it sounds like it could be interchanged with other pieces in this game. What do you think? You think there's anything the fire thing that I like about it is it definitely has a sort of a harder rock sound to mm-hmm. it, which I think can sort of evoke the danger that's associated with you know lava or fire. That's a good point. Um, just the thing that really strikes me about this musically is that sort of shuffle backbeat that you know what it reminds me of. It really reminds me of the soundtrack of Superstar Soldier for the TG16. Remember how every single track had that great shuffle feel? Yeah. See, to me, whenever I hear it, I in a video game context, I always think of the first Contra game. Oh, in like the fourth level, the music has this great sort of shuffle. Was that Konami? Yes, because this is also Konami too. Yeah, and I have a feeling I'm not sure, but maybe Superstar Soldier was also Konami. That's interesting. Yeah, it's possible. Maybe there's I mean, this. You know, those are this sort tradition. of the only games I can think of that really have that sort of shuffle mm-hmm. backbeat, and it's present. Also, like Super C has that, which is the sequel to Contra. It's definitely an arcade kind of a sound, isn't it? It's something that really gets your blood pumping. It's very driving. Yeah, it's interesting. I think some of the tracks we've played so far today. Um, use some of the compositional techniques that these composers will use to evoke the feeling of heat, fire, and lava. This isn't necessarily one of them, but there's definitely going to be tracks up, you know, coming up later in this episode that we're going to hear some different sort of techniques. I think one of the techniques, we actually heard it in that Wario Land track, was the use of organ. I think the right. organ is an instrument that really can That's evoke the feeling of fire. So. Well, I think that could lead us to an interesting point of discussion, which is perhaps it's harder to evoke the sound of fire and lava musically than it is snow because hmm. uh, instrumentally um, there's n- it, there's not that connotation like you said organ but I feel like a lot of that is just created from video games mm-hmm. where it's like with snow you can have sleigh bells and you can have these bell sounds because a lot of like pop music and a lot of cultural music like forever has tried to evoke that same kind of sound but yeah like when it's you hear the sleigh bells it, you cannot not think of like Christmas time and Santa Claus and the reindeer like it's impossible to not have that snow connotation when you hear sleigh bells you know so I think that's why um so so far like some of the tracks that we've played I think they do well to support the idea of lava but it's not mm-hmm. that sort of instant connotation yeah as far as like the presentation and the instrumentation and stuff. That's a very good point. We're going to play a track from Sonic the Hedgehog for the Sega Genesis. This was composed by Masato Nakamura. We're going to play Marble Zone, which indeed contains some pretty scary lava sections in this level. Let's take a listen to Marble Zone. Marble Zone from Sonic 1, composed by Masato Nakamura. It's impossible to separate uh, the images in this level from this music. It all kind of ties together in this one amazing experience. But everything, uh, we've talked a lot about this track. I think we talked about it in episode 10, which was uh, breakdown and analysis. We spent quite a bit of time on this track, um, so we don't want to kind of repeat what we said there. But uh, the bass line, the melody, the drum beat, the consistent driving kick drum really reminds me of Sonic pushing those blocks. 
I feel like the tempo that the beat is like is the perfect tempo to match Sonic when he's pushing those blocks. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I was going to mention the same thing. One thing that I really love about Masato Nakamura is uh, his use of tempo is just so effortless. Mm-hmm. You know, it always is very supportive to the speed that you're encouraged to approach the level. And I think tempo is something that's so essential in any type of score, whether it's video game or or mm-hmm. film matching the tempo to the rhythms of the visual images and in games it's almost more important because you're controlling it if there can be sort of a general rhythm to the gameplay capturing that in the music can actually like help the gamer like play the game better mm-hmm. i know it sounds weird but there's a lot of games that incorporate rhythm into the gameplay um even if it's sort of subtle like everyone i feel like encounters their own way of playing and i know with sonic there definitely is sort of a rhythm to the well this song has a very unique rhythm and tempo and pace this is a much slower paced level than any of the other levels and definitely in any of the other sonic games i think sometimes people forget sonic one wasn't always fast i mean marble zone a lot of this level you're pushing slow blocks you're slowly climbing this this these kind of ruins like this is not a fast level you know i think there are some levels that are fast i mean green hill zone's pretty fast but this is definitely one of the levels where it's pretty slow slow going and i think some people forget that sonic wasn't always incredibly fast let's move on to kirby air ride this is a fantastic soundtrack composed by quite a few people here we go we got hirokazu ando shogo sakai tadashi ikagami and john ishikawa let's take a listen to station fire interesting piece of music this is station fire from the gamecube game kirby air ride one thing that i love about this soundtrack is it's the only orchestral racing soundtrack that i'm familiar with it takes itself more seriously than most other racers and it's the entire soundtrack is absolutely amazing it's very consistent there's lots of great music in it it's a combination i i think some of those instruments seem real to me some of them seem like recorded some of them seem fake um but it's definitely just really well done the way that it's uh sequenced and mixed this song has elements of Jaws in it in the low string sounds, and it also has elements of Castlevania in it, doesn't it? Yeah, with a that's totally reminiscent of an introduction to a Castlevania song. Yeah, definitely. But uh, this definitely does a great job to capture, again, that sort of darkness, 
the fright and terror that's mm-hmm. in like a lot of lava levels because typically uh, with like magma surrounding you, yeah. there's usually like a, you're a little bit more on edge. Well, yeah, while you're I think that's a good levels. point. I think today the the underlying theme is just the sense of fear, isn't it? I mean, so much of the music that we're hearing, it's just this scary. Like you don't want to fall, you don't want to yeah, lose. Because it's you funny know? you mentioned Jaws. It's like if you listen to this on your own, I don't think you'd have the connotation of, of lava. Fire, yeah. But with lava and fire, this does feel at home because it mm-hmm. is capturing that sort of slow terror that's always <laughs> constant. Just yeah. like how the Jaws theme is sort of dun 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 right. dun, dun like repetitive. This does the same thing because you're never safe from it. It's always sort of there. So in the it's back really of just mind. about that feeling of fear, whether mm-hmm. it's a shark or lava. It doesn't really matter. It's effective either way, huh? Yeah, and I think it's most effective when you have that type of composition. But then I think what really can seal the deal with the fire connotation is as far as having the percussion yes. um, be something a little bit more, I guess, ethnic. Yes, if I very would say. tribal, very primal. That's something that kind of evokes like something very primordial. I guess that's yes, something that this, this type of percussion evokes. We're going to move on to Mega Man for the NES, the very first game in the series, composed by Manami Matsume, and we're going to play, you guessed it guys, Fireman Stage. Listening to Fireman Stage from Mega Man, composed by Manami Matsume. You know, one thing that really strikes me about this, it's funny how we talked about percussion um, <laughs> definitely keying you in, and then immediately we play this track, which is, again, Mega Man games, I feel like, are some of the few NES soundtracks to utilize that metallic yeah, the, noise channel. Yeah, the metallic channel. setting on the noise channel, something that Marty touched on in our sound effects episode, this was one of the few series that utilized that, and this is one of the tunes. You can hear that, that metallic setting being used, and it really does help to evoke fire, doesn't it? Oh yeah, definitely. Having sort of like a um, a less pleasing to the ear percussion mm-hmm. sound to it definitely keys you into the uneasy nature of this particular level. Because musically, it doesn't feel very different from other Mega Man games. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a little darker as far as the chords. And there's more again. There's more of this classical influence. I, that's another thing we're hearing today. We heard that in the Kirby Air Ride. You're hearing a, a lot of classical influence. And for Mega Man, it's not as common. Yeah. And this, uh, also, this, this game theme. is so. This game is so interesting as far as like uh, its musical palette because it's not quite as rock and roll as subsequent Mega Man yeah, games. Yeah, but been I think it definitely. Yet. Yeah, it definitely establishes though, like um, melodically, mm-hmm. the types of areas in which Mega Man is sort of allowed to traverse because it definitely establishes some of the rhythms that are even utilized in a lot of great Mega Man. That's melodies. a good point. Yeah, I think genre-wise, it wasn't until Mega Man Two where it was really established that okay, we're going to be going for this combination of rock music and classical influences and stuff. But I think it's interesting. I feel like Takashi Tateishi was really trying to carry the torch of what Manami Matsume mm. did in this first game, but in my opinion, he totally went above and beyond and oh, yeah. actually uh, made 
better music Mm -hmm. and sort of further established what she was going for and in my opinion did it better yeah definitely we're going to move on to a game for the playstation one this is legend of mana sequel to secret of mana and this was composed by yoko shimamura we're going to play a track called fiery castle pretty changes here. This is Fiery Castle from the game Legend of Mana, composed by Yoko Shimomura. Man, I just am such a fan of her compositions. Just every time I listen to it, it just makes me smile. It's just well done, you know? Oh, yeah. She's definitely definitely on the top, you know. She's one of the greats as far as video game composers go. She's absolutely wonderful. She totally captures that distinct Japanese style of melody. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and chords for that matter but she has her own distinct flair and there's so much emotion in all of her music that I think that's what really strikes me is you have composers like Koji Kondo and Uematsu uh, both who uh, dabble in actually a lot of emotional content I don't think people give Koji Kondo enough credit for that but his emotions that he's tried to convey are a little bit more that bittersweet kind of thing that melancholy where I feel like Uematsu really, um, chanda, he kind of slows things down and goes for a little bit more overt sound. But what mm-hmm. I love about Yoko Shimomura is she's just great at capturing this sort of like rousing emotional quality in her music. You yes. know, it's not slow, it's not subtle, it's very It sort feels of important. Epic. Doesn't yeah. it feel very important? One thing that I love about Yoko Shimomura, the fact that she's been composing so long on so many different platforms and generations, is that her musical sensibilities really hasn't changed that much. So when you listen to music on the PlayStation, it's so cool to hear traces of something that you could hear in Street Fighter. And to hear it in this context, it's really fun. And it's also uh, very unique on the PlayStation to have a video game veteran, like a video game composer veteran from the old days on a new console. Mm -hmm. Because even if the instruments sound better, you know, it's using that same old school. Just like how we talked about um, with Tomoya Tamita about how it's really capturing the soul and spirit mm-hmm. of old school game composition, but in a new sort of presentation. And what's cool with Tomoya Tamita is that's because he was an old school game composer exactly. I mean, from the NES onwards. So yeah, that's very cool. Now I'm really excited about this track. This was probably my personal favorite new discovery this week. This is from a Game Boy Color game called Warlocked, and this was composed by Jaron Tell. We're going to play a track called Lava 2. This is really cool. Enjoy. Lava 2 
Man, I really dig that track. This is Lava 2 from Warlocked, composed by Jaron Tell. Oh my gosh, such a groovy rhythm to this song. The It's very danceable. Absolutely. I think another thing that's great, it's using that really quick arpeggiation, almost like machine-like electronic quality that we've heard in games by the Fallen Brothers and also like Mick Kids. It really fills up the sound, doesn't it? When you have these limitations, you know? And I think it's interesting how each... Each one of these tracks utilizes completely different techniques to evoke <laughs> the feel of fire and lava. It's just so interesting because <laughs> now we're on another. Th- we've just we've come across another technique, which is we talked about that arpeggiator. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting about that is I don't think it's it's I don't think it's specifically the use of arpeggio. I think it's that sort of wavering flutter. It's almost yeah. like hear this chord, right? You hear that chord oh, there? Yeah. That's the chord that reminded both of us of Perfect Dark. There's something about, I'm not sure what that chord is, but that one chord really sounded like Grant Kirkhope's music there. Yeah, and I think what's interesting, though, is that that uh, arpeggio sort of evokes like an exaggerated vibrato sound. Mm-hmm. So this sort of weak, scary, fluttering um, timbre that uh, the melody and chords have in this song definitely make you feel uneasy. And mm-hmm. like Carl mentioned, some of those chords uh, go to a little bit more dissonant and darker of a place than you're really expecting. What I love about Game Boy music is when something grooves, it grooves harder than NES because you have this square channel bass. So you have these really sharp and it really feels like electronic dance music. That's a good point. You know, it's really awesome. All right, we're very excited. It is now time to move on to our track of the week. This is from Donkey Kong Country 2, and this is so cool. We've actually been saving this track up the entire time we've been doing this podcast. I've wanted to play this for so long, but once again, we knew at some point we'd do a Fire and Lava episode, and we were saving this one up. This is Hothead Bop from Donkey Kong Country 2. This is the lava level theme composed by Dave Wise. Please enjoy.
so cool to hear the bubbling sound effects of that lava. Oh, That's yeah. just, oh my gosh, this is awesome. You're listening to Hothead Bop from Donkey Kong Country 2, composed by Dave Wise. And for me personally, my favorite fire lava theme. I think it encapsulates everything that makes an effective fire piece. Yeah, I think it's great. Uh, melodically, it doesn't really focus on some of the things that we've seen. It's not as overtly dark. But what's great is with some of the instrument choices, you know, if you take the higher register of instruments, you know, this could actually almost make an effective like snow level. But what's great is it's all about what makes this piece different to other Donkey Kong Country mm-hmm. music. And that's that really low bass and some of those lower instruments it almost has this sort of fiery warmth to it yeah one thing that i love about the the composition of this piece is that that's such a great riff that's just one of the most classic riffs in all video game music i just absolutely love those sequence of intervals it's excellent and one of my favorite parts of the song is that bridge that like C or D section that comes in like really late in the song where it all of a sudden goes to major key and it's really happy. There's like this little escape where it's like you're in the scary fire place, but there's just a little reprieve where it's like, okay, you're having you're having fun, you know, while you're playing. Well, this and game. again, it's hothead bop, you know. Yeah. There's that catchy rhythmic quality and the Donkey Kong Country games accentuate rhythm in their gameplay almost more than any other platformer. Yeah. Because rhythm has always been a key component of the character Donkey Kong because he's a gorilla. And I mean, I know even on like the GameCube, they experimented with, you know, rhythmic control elements, but that's always been important to the music. Absolutely. We're going to move on to Sonic 3D Blast for the Genesis. And we're going to play a track that was composed by Tetsuyuki Maeda. He was one of the gentlemen that composed some of the tracks in this game. Um, So far, I think, on this podcast, we've only played the tracks that were composed by Jun Senaway. And we have mentioned that those were probably the best tracks in the game. But this is a pretty good track. This is Volcano Valley Act 1. listening to Volcano Valley Act 1 from Sonic 3D Blast, and this particular track was composed by Tetsuyuki Maeda. This is a really strong melody. I actually am really a big fan of the melody in this 
piece, the A section, the B section, and actually that C section, that's probably the most pretty in my opinion. I really like the final section of this piece, but this is a really strong example. This entire game, we've talked about this. Uh, showcase of the Genesis sound chip and the compositional style that a lot of these composers would use on the Genesis. Really interesting part writing and interesting choice of instruments and the heavy use of that PSG chip. The PSG chip plays such an important role and not just this piece, but this entire soundtrack. It's excellent. Well, and I feel like in lava music in general, mm -hmm. it plays a very important role in uh, like Sonic and Knuckles' lava reef zone. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great. That's a great track. We're gonna move on to a really great soundtrack. This is the Secret of Evermore for the Super Nintendo. This is a SquareSoft title, and it was composed by the American Jeremy Soule, a very talented composer. And it's quite rare that you see a Square title on the Super Nintendo that was not composed by a Japanese person. So it's really cool to feature this music. We've actually never played a track from the soundtrack. Jeremy Soule went on to compose um, a lot of video games, and I think film and television. Uh, I think he did most of the Harry Potter games. Some of those recent games from the previous generations right we're going to play a track called fire eyes from secret of evermore of atmospheric sound effects you're hearing there. Very vibey. This is Fire Eyes from Secret of Evermore, composed by Jeremy Soule. I'm getting some traces of uh, Chrono Trigger in here, and Will was saying that he got some traces of Donkey Kong Country in here as well. Yeah, instrumentally in sort of the uh, the primal nature of the instrumentation. Mm -hmm. That kalimba is very effective. And also the fact that you have a separate channel that's dedicated to the delay of the kalimba really feels like it's filling up this large space. It kind of evokes nature, kind of evokes like a larger chasm or something. But yeah, this is very effective music. I'm glad we got to feature a track from this soundtrack. We're going to move on to Metroid Prime, and this actually, fun fact, is both Will and I, uh, our favorite game of all time, actually. This came out for the GameCube, and it was composed once again by Kenji Yamamoto, who composed Super Metroid. Yeah, along with Manako Hamano, who, Manako Hamano actually did uh, games like Metroid Fusion, so it's mm -hmm. kind of cool. Those are sort of like the two big Metroid composers, and two right. games that came out the same year, Fusion and Prime, uh, were both led by each of them individually. So yeah, I and actually this track, cool. fun fact, this this track we're about to play is actually originally was featured in Super Metroid. That's correct. It's the Lower Norfair theme, so it's Ridley's Hideout is actually the name of the song. But what I really love about this Prime version is... It actually holds kind of true instrumentally to yeah. what 
happened on the SNES. So this is actually, in my opinion, one of the few examples of remixes in later games where it's so faithful to the instrumentation that it's actually better than the original. Oh, yes, I completely agree. And this is one of the strongest examples of fire music in video games. Um, it, this is incredibly effective instrumentation-wise, compositionally. Everything comes together to create this amazing sense of heat and fear and fright and kind of um, tension and almost claustrophobia. So let's take a listen to Magmore Caverns from Metroid Prime. Listening to Magmore Caverns from Metroid Prime, composed by Kenji Yamamoto. Really effective. Once again, you have those very primal, primordial percussion sounds here that are on every single quarter note, really giving this driving feel. And you have those choral samples, those choral voices, and that's another thing that is used to evoke fire or fear. We hear that in film score sometimes. Right, and again, what I absolutely love is that this is like instrument for instrument note for note they like same exact instrumentation from the super nintendo just better instruments yeah. that's what i love is it's really it's not a remix it's just sort it's not even a reimagining it's just like better you know it yeah, uses better you, samples and you told me that when you first played this game you hadn't gotten to this point in super metroid so you thought this was a, a new piece of music from prime and then when you went and played and got to this part in super metroid you kind of freaked out didn't you yeah because super metroid i played way before prime but like but it you took never got me, this far it took me years to beat that game when i was yeah. a kid so when i got to this point like i was just so surprised because i always mm -hmm. loved this track and i never knew it was from super yeah. metroid that's so cool that he decided to reuse this this is excellent it fits so well in the game we're going to move on to Mega Man 10. This is one of the recent games that came out by Capcom. Mega Man 9 was a really kind of a big deal because they went back to the NES style of not only music, but the entire game. And I think that was kind of, it was the first game in this kind of old school retro generation where we're seeing a lot of kind of games such as like the new DuckTales that's coming out. We're seeing people go back and redo kind of, I guess maybe it's similar to Hollywood, how they want to reboot or kind of remake things. But what I love is, as opposed to something like DuckTales or like the remake of Tomb Raider where it's mm -hmm. rebooting it this is actually continuing yes. a franchise that has gotten better Which is, in making it look and sound 
sort of objectively worse. Yeah. The music, I think, is better than previous Mega Man games. Like, it's almost the best thing since, like, Mega Man 2. Yeah, but that's what's, what's great, so cool. Like, Mega Man 9 just blew me away. Like, this, the music soundtrack of that game was definitely, in my opinion, some of the best Mega Man music. And maybe the, the best, like, quintessential rocking Mega Man music since maybe, like, Mega Man 2. Or maybe some of, like, Mega Man X or something. You yeah, know? I mean, it was great. The gameplay was fantastic. And it's just a great idea to go back to the basics. So this is from the next game, which came out a couple years after that. This is Mega Man 10. This particular track we're going to play was composed by Makado Tamazawa. Let's take a listen to Fireball Strike, also known as Strike Man Stage. So awesome. This is Fireball Strike, Strike Man Stage from Mega Man 10, composed by Makoto Tamazawa. You could put this right in Mega Man 2, one of those old school Mega Man games. It would fit right at home, and it would be a great track in those soundtracks. Oh, it would be fantastic. One thing I love is uh, the way it's evoking harmonics. Again, the bass line is very simple. You have that do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. The melody jumps all over, so it characterizes the chords changes that you're going to, but the harmonies are not thirds. They're sort of fourths, and the harmonies sort of serve as like a counter melody, Mm -hmm. accenting some of the more extended notes in the chords. So you get some of those sevenths and ninths that you wouldn't normally get because of those harmonies and, and it's then there's just that really great. fun B section where there is no harmony and it's just utilizing the delay channel it's just that one and it's kind yeah. of slightly goofy and playful that bridge section which is kind of interesting and then after that there's that transition with the din 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 just the drums to lead back into the beginning again definitely evokes fire though i think it's yeah. it's a fantastic use of the limitations of that NES style music mm-hmm. I really wonder how these tracks were composed, if they used something like Famitracker, or if they just kind of sent in the MIDI and someone just kind of sequenced them. I feel like I, I heard that they used Famitracker on these That's games. cool. That's very cool. What's interesting is the quality, the fidelity is like better. It's like there's something that's like, it's like mastered really well or something. Because well, it's not ripped from mm-hmm. the game. But right. like Famitracker is so authentic, you can actually put mm-hmm. it onto an NES cart. So mm-hmm. it actually is programmable. We're going to move on to Chrono Trigger for the Super Nintendo. We're going to play a track called Singing Mountain, and this, def- and this part of the game does feature fire. Let's take a listen to this track. It was composed by Yasunori Matsuda. <laughs> Thank you. 
This is Singing Mountain from Chrono Trigger, composed by Yasunori Mitsuda. I thought it was called Laputa Castle in the Sky. <laughs> yeah, if any of you are familiar with the main theme of uh, Laputa Castle in the Sky, composed by Joe Hisayashi, uh, Will was actually kind of freaking out over there because he thought this was kind of a ripoff of that theme. It's just, it's a little too much for me. The, I could tolerate the A section because mm-hmm. it's like, there are only so many notes and so many chords, but it's like the B section right here <laughs> starts off with the same little motif and same it, chord it's the sequence. same rhythmic ideas and then it even ends the form with like mm-hmm. some na, 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 na. like that's the <laughs> yeah. end of the Laputa theme yeah. and it, it's like I all three sections are so similar purposeful if he realized he was doing that or if it was subconscious I feel like it can't not be purposeful because huh. it, there's three instances throughout the entire melody where it's like everything that you can break down about mm-hmm. it is almost identical to Lapita. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it's the same key. Like it's That's it's funny. so similar. But very pretty track from a very pretty soundtrack. Actually, I have a feeling that that track. I don't know if that was actually included in the original soundtrack. I think that may have been unused. Really? Yeah. Good. Maybe that's why. (laughs) We're going to move on to Super Mario Galaxy for the Wii. We're going to play a track called Melty Molten Galaxy. And this is the fire theme in this game. It was composed by Mahito Yokota and performed by the Mario Galaxy Orchestra. I just love this game. This is Melty Molten Galaxy from Super Mario Galaxy, composed by the wonderful Mahito Yakoda. 
gosh, this is awesome. I mean, it's such a payoff because you wait so long for the full orchestra. You don't get it until the very end. And when it comes in, it's such a payoff because most of the track features synth sounds, you know, fake kind of synths and fake sitar and stuff. And you get a little bit of strings, like you get a violin that's doubling the melody here, and you get some some horns and some trumpets and stuff. But it's not until that final section where you hear that really lush, beautiful, soaring melody. Uh, and what's so just wonderful about this is it's able to retain the beauty and the whole idea and theme of the Mario Galaxy orchestral music, and like while this still section being, here, while still being so authentic to yeah. the whole lava theme of yeah, this really level. impressive it still feels at home in the soundtrack it's such an amazing feat i mean this section here you have the theremin you have the spacey elements that you hear in a lot of the music at the soundtrack and you still have the orchestral rousing very beautiful moments but yeah, you I'm do just, get something different I'm, I'm so consistently impressed because it's able to retain the orchestral beauty which is really hearkening back to the simplicity melodically of the classic mario themes yeah. but then also you add those space elements because of the theme of the game and then also the theme of this particular level with the primordial drums yeah and you have such a specific you have such a specific sound that they're achieving for Mm -hmm. this level that's almost the most characteristic of like most video game music then that you can think Mm -hmm. of you know it's it's so specific to this level in this game you know in this series because it's it's encapsulating all of that into this one package it's really impressive absolutely exquisite all right, this is the last track we're going to play today, and this is kind of funny because <laughs> you really can't talk about Fire and Lava without playing this next track. And even though we played it very recently on this podcast, we just felt wrong about not including it today. So once again, this is Sonic and Knuckles, Lava Reef Zone, Act 1. Lava Reef Zone Act 1 from Sonic & Knuckles, composed by Sega Sound Team. Gorgeous melody. Thanks so much for joining us, guys, on the Super Mercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast for our Fire & Lava episode. We had a great time sharing this music. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. It's it's always a pleasure. Yeah. We love doing this show. And me, personally, I'm always a big fan of these sort of themed episodes. Mm-hmm. Like, I liked we did summer music last year. And uh, next week, we're actually going to be continuing this sort of summer spicy kind of theme that we got going here. Yeah, we have Desert and Sand, which is going to be next week, which is going to be really awesome. Yeah, it's man. sort of like the counterpart to today's episode. Yeah. And one thing that we're going to talk about next week is that we're actually going to observe some similar musical techniques. Right. Right. Because they're both trying to evoke heat, which and there's is actually, a very important There's some soundtracks where one song is used for fire and desert For example, levels. Mario 64, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, Lethal Lava Land. Yeah, which we didn't play today, so... <laughs> yeah. 
hint, hint, you know. But yeah, no, this was a really fun episode. I want to remind you guys in some of the ways that you can um, listen to this podcast will be more convenient for you. You can subscribe to our RSS feed. You can go on iTunes and subscribe to us there. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to us on YouTube, as well as uh, visiting our blog and kicking in a few shekels if you enjoy this podcast and feel like you want to donate. We'd greatly appreciate that. And once again, we wanted to mention uh, our new album, Zero G Super Satellite Racing, is out today. And actually, this entire album utilizes the original sounds of the SNES. So if you're a fan of that original soundtrack, I think you'll really get a kick out of this. Yeah, we're really excited to hear your guys' feedback on it, because both Carl and I had just a blast making it. Right, so you can head over to the blog to check it out. On the sidebar, there'll be a link there. We'll also post it on Facebook and Twitter. And you can always find all of our music at music.supermarcadobros.com. Awesome. Thanks so much. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm Will Brueggemann. Have a great week, you guys. Peace out.